Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. I'm Vicky Fleetwood and you're listening to the Mallover Rugby Podcast. Um, hello. You may recognise us as the most infrequent rugby podcast in the world's rugby podcast in history. We are them all over. Um, we are back for the second week in a row um, because there's actually some stuff worth talking about. Um, albeit those of you that listened last week would have tuned, chewed, chewed, yeah, chewed through a lot of moaning from us around Tackle Heights and uh, the likes. But let's talk about some actual rugby this week. I am delighted to be joined by the uh, nicest man in Cornish rugby podcast in Ben Eustace. Welcome, Ben. Hello, mate. Um, with a mouthful of what looks like cheese on toast, the lensman, Dougie Andrews. It's um, it's actually, if you can see that, a French stick that with my homemade tomato sauce and some mozzarella and some sun-dried tomatoes on it. You're such a pretentious cunt, aren't you? <laughs> homemade tomato sauce, sun-dried tomatoes. Can I just say I've made some homemade pizza bread? You can't. I was getting hoops tonight, Russ. <laughs> Actually, it was alphabet. <laughs> it's um, fucking you for you, weren't it? Yeah, they, I mean, all jumbled up. Uh, and I would love to welcome back um long time long time listener, friend of the show. <laughs> um <laughs> every housewife's favourite, that's for certain. It's the farm vet. He's he's back. Like out of nowhere. Yeah, and um for, for those of you listening in uh, in video format, so just the four of us here, you would have clearly seen that my wife hasn't worked out that we don't record the video because she just crept at the bottom of the screen to go and put something <laughs> behind me. <laughs> and that and that's quite the feat for Julie because she's about six it foot is. eight. Yeah, a little shorter than that. But yeah. I know. Is she but, really I mean, six foot eight? No. No. Probably no. about six foot. Five foot ten. Five ten. Uh, five foot ten. There you go. She's, she's um, smaller than than the man child now. Wow! I mean, my thirteen year old son is taller than my my wife. Impressive. Um, we had he a good must day out. Be fucking cleaning up. <laughs> like you wouldn't believe. I'm super jealous. I I never got. I down Fishtrol Beach on in June. In forty years of life, I never got as much action as he has in the last six months. Mate, <laughs> give me down that beach in June. Richard Keesing it. <laughs> the, the, that common that common phrase. What was he doing? Oh, he was Richard Keesing it. You could go down there any day of the week and it'd be Richard Keesing it. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Um, we had a good day out Saturday afternoon, Phil, didn't we? Um, obviously, we didn't get to watch Wales Island. Um, ben, you'll you'll keep us abreast of that situation. But Phil and I took our respective under tens and under eights teams to the Cornish Pirates, who did a little guard of honour and stuff, and on the pitch. And what do you play. know about amateur rugby? <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah they got to play a little game of t- uh, game of tag at um at half time recklessly we enabled the un- some of the under 10s to to play on the same pitch as the under under 8s which were they all on, were they all on a child line after the match <laughs> well <laughs> i mean some of the, if if uh some of the cornish pirates fans knew how to work a phone then it might it might have been one but unavoidably we had a uh an under 10 running directly into an under eight unavoidably so uh you know it's what happens in it but they all had a great time they loved it as they, as they say mate fuck them yeah oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no they don't say that they do not say that is that not is that not in the uh rfu handbook that's not no um the 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 phrase fuck them is definitely not in the rfu handbook <laughs> is that that's, not is that not rule, rule 42 sub clause three Sorry, it's finger a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, Phil, you were going to say oh. something. No, I was going to say exactly what Ben said. To be honest, just a different number, uh, exactly number letter what variation. <laughs> what What nobody was about to say was a fuck them or b finger them. We'll leave that to the lensman. No, anyway. no neither, neither of those phrases were in my mind, to be honest. Um, right, let's let's move on swiftly. Um, obviously, we're back for two podcasts in. in Welcome, two... new listeners. Yeah, I mean, if you've not listened before, chances are you've already turned off by now. Um, but uh, yeah, we're back two weeks in a row. This is uh, specifically um, for Matthew Ball one of our long-term listeners and followers, one of the biggest people I've met in my life. He's quite Let's just say he wouldn't have found anything I just said offensive. <laughs> in fact, he'd be he'd be positively encouraged by all of the things Doug has just said. Um, shall we talk about some rugby? Let's talk about England versus Scotland, shall we? First of all, um, when we recorded last week, we had a brief chat about um, about the match and what the selection could be because it hadn't been released yet, um, or had it been released? Had did we? Uh, anyway, I think he did it on the Friday. Didn't I don't it? think it was Friday, no, no. But so obviously the key callouts from from the starting lineup. Obviously we uh, we have one of the uh, Curry's squared playing at seven. You know, why not? If you've got a great player, clone him, make, you know, what's better than one curry? More curries. People like them. Um, <laughs> Don Brandt and uh, Ludlow in the back row. Um, Ollie Chesson, Mario Otoje. Uh, the no, definition no. of insanity I'm with no. Smith and Farrell at 10 and 12. Um, Marchant at 13, who's, you know, had more than his fair share of cracks of the whip. Um, and a debut for Ollie Hustle Collins, which was uh, which was welcome in, in some parts. Ben, um, firstly, what did you make of of the team, and how did you how did you see him shaping up in that sort of the first fifteen twenty minutes? 
Well, I, I wasn't particularly surprised by the team um, because I didn't think Borthwick would change it very much. You know, I think he was going to keep the core of the side because he's had such a short you know, build-up from taking the job. Um, and I think with all of his centres basically getting injured or being pretty much permanently injured, he just decided to go with Smith and Farrell, which didn't work. Um, you know, every now and again, England got ahead of steam and it, it looked pretty good in, in attack. Um, but also every now and again, it would completely break down and the ball would get loose and it would just get sort of thrown around like a hot potato. And um, I think we all made the same point on um, Saturday when we spoke about it and pretty much everyone I've spoken to ever since has made the same point is that if you had a big 12 who could carry straight, then that would remedy that situation because you've still got the same issue that we've got, that we've always had, of there's no actual breaking of the game line. If, if we can't outflank the team, we aren't going to go through the middle of them at the moment. And it, it's just leaving there being no plan B at all. I mean, having said that, you asked about the first 20 minutes, and it actually looked pretty good until we actually had to tackle someone. And then <laughs> then it went a little bit wrong, I would say. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the issue with the defence will probably be resolved in the next couple of weeks. We'll have more time with the team. Kevin Simpson has probably knocked about four people out in the last two days. I was going to um, say, I don't, I don't think it's time that necessarily they need. It's a bollocking that they need. Yeah. And I can guarantee they'll have got one of them. Well, I've seen a quote from Steve Borthwick in the in the last five minutes that, that said, well, when you, um, when you implement a new defensive system, there's obviously going to be, um, there's obviously going to be some issues. Well, I thought the main issue was their inability to make one-on-one -on -one tackles. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> we slipped off a number of tackles. When you try and put in a new defensive system, that takes time. There's going to be mistakes when you're trying to build a team and implement new systems. Now, I think we all get that. I don't have an issue with that, but, you know, one-on-one -on -one tackles and several of them, you know, that that's not an issue. That's just, that's just sort of a, a poor performance, isn't it? You know, it's something that you have to... Yeah, it's it was nothing to do with um, systems. That's not systems. That's that's individual errors and multiple individual errors uh, in, in a phase of play. Um, and it's really quite disappointing. And I suppose ultimately when you, when you look at pretty much all of the Scotland tries, the, the situations occur, certainly both Van der Merwe's, um, okay, the Hugh Jones one you can put down to system. There was there were there were opportunities that arose around that first try as a result of, of some positioning. But both Van der Merwe tries and the Ben White try came came purely down to people cocking up tackles, one on one tackles. Yeah, Doug, you which which end we you were you were there obviously working as you as you said before last week. <clears throat> which end which end were you at? Were you at the end where Scotland scored the tries in the first half? Or not? Uh, no, I was uh, second half. <clears throat> Scotland um, were attacking me, so I was the I was the end, not uh, Van der Merwe's ridiculous try, but the end of his winning try. I think were yes. you in that corner or the other corner? 
I was in that corner, yeah. Um, I mean, let's not get too too deep into the game. What was the what was it like in the stadium? What was the atmosphere? What was the atmosphere like? What was the? It seemed pretty good. I mean, there was a, it seemed like a lot of Scottish people there, uh, which I thought was was a bit surprising, really. I, you know, um, I don't really want to talk about that. That's you know, no one cares. Um, okay. Well, the... where, where do you want to take it? Well, I think where we need to take it, really, which is the the sort of Smith Farrell thing. I don't, no, I don't know. I think I put this on our group, but I'm not sure if, like, I haven't done it. But if anyone has done a breakdown on first receiver for England, because it felt to me like Owen Farrell was playing first receiver a hell of a lot. Certainly, the last 25 minutes, he was pretty much exclusively first receiver. Absolutely. So if you're doing that, you're playing with 14 men and you're also making your attack one-dimensional because Marcus Smith's not going to crash the ball up, is he? Well, actually, in that last 20 minutes, it was fairly obvious that there seemed to be a repeated play they went to where first uh, scrum half to Farrell and then Farrell passing in behind a couple of forwards to Smith, which has just given Smith the ball 15 metres back from the game line with a couple of his own forwards in front of him. And then on top of that, um, a line of three attackers coming towards him. He's got no opportunity to do what he needs to do because he's yeah. been given given the ball in completely the wrong areas. So I, I don't, I don't see that being a Nick Evans approach. That felt to me like it was uh, the systems and processes of the last coaching team. I, it just didn't fit. It felt very much like we just put Eddie's game plan in a box and opened it up and tipped it out on Twickenham on on Saturday because it 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 just didn't sit. There was no discernible difference to me. Now I don't know whether that's because they didn't have the time in post to be able to actually impose their game plan, or if that is Farrell pulling rank mid match and saying this is what we're doing, this is what we know how to do. We're behind. Let's go back to what we've been doing. Um, but it seemed like everything positive came out of Smith's hands. And thinking about the first try for Malins, the second try for Malins started with Smith, I believe. Well, the, um, the set and the mate, the second try throughout that phase, throughout throughout those those phases, Farrell was in the first receiver, and Smith was was almost nowhere because it was it was Farrell to uh, March and to Ludlam. That gave the ball to to Malins. Yeah, I think, I think they're, they're trying to use Smith. Smith put the kick in for the first try. Yes, he did. Yeah. yeah, he did. Yeah. So two two points on that, Dougie. Um, first of all, this is the issue with having two primary playmakers: is one of them's always out of the game. You d- you don't have two primary playmakers in a move ever. So one but of them Farrell's is not, always out of the game. I, so, I understand that, but Farrell's not there to be the primary playmaker. If he was, he'd be playing at ten. And that's that's the point, is we've got two people who want to play 10, playing at 10 and 12. Farrell's not a 12. He's never been a 12. So he's a, we he's all, a 10, so play him at 10 or don't play him at all. We all, but, we all agree with that, Phil, I think. But the fact is he's being picked at 12. Yeah. Now, he even needs to be... He even needs to be told to wind his neck in and play 12. Or he needs to be dropped. Because yeah. Smith is hands down, far and away... A better ten than Owen Farrell, and why he's still kicking goals is beyond me. Because I haven't seen him have a good game off the tee for 
John Feels Bridges. Like he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the the other point I was going to make is, and um, Dunk uh, Leicester fan may may have a view on this, but I said it pre pre pod that I don't think Borthwick was ever going to come in and massively ring the changes from day one and set his own stamp on it. Going from Jones to Borthwick was only ever going to be kind of incremental changes in a direction as opposed to if you were to go, say, Jones to Gregor Townsend, he's going to come in and they're going to look completely different from day one. Or Jones to Edwards or whoever, or Gatland. He's, I think Borthwick is only ever going to go, he's going to go... T- 10% of the way each game and it's going to take time to get there. But yeah, we all know Smith Farrell doesn't work. I could make a strong argument in that game that you start Farrell and you bring Smith on after 50 minutes. But what are you bringing him on, bringing him on uh, at 50 minutes for? Uh, against time. Tell, tell me what your idea behind bringing him on at 50 minutes is. Because you've got more tired players, you've got more space for him to be able to do what he wants to do. Let Farrell control the game. Let's keep it tight for 50 minutes and then let Smith um, turn that into trouble. Do you not understand just how like, how negative that is? The message that mm. sends to the team. Keep, like We're going to pick Owen Farrell at 10 to keep it tight and then we're going to bring Marcus Smith on. But you know what? If we're 15 points down at that point, the game's gone. I'll be honest... I still think that if the depending on the type of game you want to play, I think England the way England play, Owen Farrell is better suited to being ten. And I think if Owen Farrell was at ten, we would have won that game. Because uh, if uh, Owen Farrell, totally yeah, uh, I, I don't want no, 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 because more. if Owen I... if Owen Farrell was at ten, then they would pick an actual twelve. Somebody who is twelve, their bread and butter. What they've got is they've got Marcus Smith. They they've bad, but they've bat themselves into a corner yet again by making Farrell captain, right? So they they have to pick him. So I, I just don't get it. Like as I said in the group, are we just going to pick him till he dies because he's good in meetings? I think he's a fantastic player, mate, and I th- I actually he's think not, I mean, he's not the for... best ten in the country, and I... he's not the best twelve but, in the country. No, I think it. I think he could be the best ten in the country, depending on the the game you that you want to try and play. Marcus Smith, right? And and I'll stand by this. And I've said it before. Marcus Smith is very good, and in fact, excellent in the way that Harlequins play when he's got a big lump of Dombrant inside him and he's got a big lump of Esterhazen outside him. So you're playing with a, a big eight and a big 12 and you and you give him options and then you even go out the back to 13. But he's got two forward running options just, either side of him there. Yeah, when think- he's played for England, and it's not his fault, right? I'm not blaming Marcus Smith for this, but when he's played for England, he hasn't had the ability to play in the same way that he does for Quinns, where he's so effective, where he's got the options that he's used to having and can make plays the way he's used to making plays. That's what I thought having Nick Evans come in for this tournament would actually provide us with. And they would go down the line of actually, right, well, we can't play in Ford and Farrell. Uh, playing Smith and Farrell is completely fruitless. We've seen this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work in attack. It doesn't work in defence. And it doesn't work in defence because all Owen Farrell wanted to do was defend in the 10 channel. So Owen Farrell defends in the 10 channel, drags every other defender in, and all Scotland wanted to do was go wide. Right, mate. So we were all, so narrow. All you've done there for me is confirm what I'm saying because you're saying that, first off, 
Smith hasn't been allowed to play how he plays for Harlequins. I, that's that's Correct. exactly what I just said. Right. Well, what like why pick him? But again, but, but, no, but here's exactly. the point. It, let me let me get to my point. I don't think he's allowed to play like he does for Quinns because of Owen Farrell. I don't think Owen Farrell lets him. You can't tell me that that Farrell's not overruling Smith on on certain occasions. I think he's directly he's shoving Smith out of the way almost. But like, was, no, I'll have this one. I'll have this. Owen so Farrell got, isn't Andreas Dazen. But we've that's, got two. Doesn't different... matter, Russ. Of course, it matters. No, he's, a primary, he's a primary. Russ, it's it's lazy to say that because you've lazy. never. It is because you've never seen him play. Not you haven't seen him play in a system without Esterhazen. So if you're telling me that, yes, Mark I have. Is, yes, I have. It, I've seen him play in a system without Esterhazen for England. Yes, but that is, a... but that's apples and oranges, Russ. Because what you're getting is Marcus Smith in a situation where he's not leading the team. No, mate, so it's lazy you, to say seen, that he's only good no, no, with no. Esther Hazen and Don Brandt. I didn't because... say that. Didn't say that. It doesn't have mate. to be Esther Hazen. It doesn't have to be Don Brandt. If you're going to pick Smith, and I've said this countless times, if you're going to pick Smith, you've got to pick a 12, not Farrell, right? But I'm well, also exactly saying, listen, saying, but you're saying he needs someone huge at 12. No, 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 no. I just say he needs mate, a 12. He needs mate. someone that lets him play his game. He which, just needs which... a 12. He needs an actual 12. The, somebody that plays 12 properly. And the point yeah, I think I'm we're making, about the same thing. Anyway. We are, but my point is that I don't care whether it's Smith or Farrell at ten. I, I I literally don't care about that. I just want a ten to play ten and a twelve to play twelve. That is it. It makes no difference to me if it's Smith or it's Farrell. I don't care. At this point, I really don't. <laughs> I I just think that. Smith can do more. Smith can oh, right. It's it's a bit like when the England football team were picking Gerard and Lampard in the midfield, right? And you had exactly. two players who were identical, and you had Paul Scholes out on the wing, the the most creative and brilliant footballer in the country, being forced into a position where he wasn't being best utilised. Just to get him in the team. Yeah, and I think this is what's happening with Smith. I think they'd be such they're so worried about not picking him and what that well, the optics of that that they're picking him, but they're like, oh, we can't upset Owen. It's like somebody's got to have the stones to either say we're not picking Marcus Smith and we're going to play Farrell at ten, or we're not picking Owen Farrell, we're going to play Smith at ten. Yeah, and and, and whichever way they choose, I'm fine it. with it. But I think Borthwick is Borthwick is. He's the type of coach that isn't maybe good. Well, it's not likely he wants to play that flam that flamboyant sort of attacking it's style. Well, but in which case, in we, which case, it needs to be Farrell. We have a body of evidence that tells us that Farrell and Ford and that jet, like basically that team that finished the game yesterday on on Saturday, that team's not going to win a World Cup. So. I think kind of if we get to if we're five matches into the Six Nations, we're at the end of the Six Nations, and we've played Smith Farrell every one of those games, we'll be in exactly the same position as we were last year. Whether we've won two two games, three games, four games, one game, it doesn't really matter. The team will not have progressed. That is, I think, the vast majority of the English supporting watching. Maternity community, um, or maternity, because we need to be gender neutral, would be in agreement that that Smith Farrell 
does not work. And if we continue throughout the entire Six Nations with that, we'll have learned nothing. And Nick Evans will not. Nick Evans will not be picking an attack based on those options. Um, and we've got to hope that that comes down to to some injuries to some some key centres and Borthwick not being able to play what he wanted to play. Um, I would be pretty shocked if he starts with that combination. I think he'll go with Farrell, Slade, and somebody else. I th- I think he I think he will too. I think he'll play. Farrell I think at some Slade. at some point, someone's got to have the balls to say, "Owen Farrell, what you bring to the leadership element." Let's not forget, he's supposed to be this incredible leader. We keep getting pumped. So rugby. Rugby is not so. There, there's been examples in other sports of incredible leaders who didn't deserve their place in the team, but uh, on individual skill. But what they did in terms of improving the team was, was a massive positive. I don't think I've ever seen an example of it in rugby. If you're not good enough to get picked in your position, captain sees a pile of horseshit. They talk about it with Alan Wynne Jones, who's an absolute donkey, but oh, what he brings to the team and his leadership. What does he bring? Like, yeah. And I get that. I totally buy into that. And equally, I buy into what you're saying, Doug, in terms of I think he's been given too much responsibility historically and that and that sits on his influence. sits on his influence. shoulders. Yeah, I totally get that. I don't think I still think there's games when Owen Farrell is our best choice at 10 um, because he can manipulate and control a game in a way that Smith hasn't demonstrated he's got the ability to yet. And I think Smith will get there. With the opportunities, hard um, thing with all of that. ever ben, ever been given any opportunity to control that, a game. That, that no, he hasn't. That, he hasn't. That may be right. so. That may be so. Ben, you wanted in. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I don't want to pile on Farrell because I think he's a brilliant player, and I I think you're right, Russ. Like if he was playing at ten, we'd look a better team than with him playing at twelve. Um, but the thing, and I think I mentioned it the other day, was. The, the best break that Smith made when he looked most threatening was when he had he threw a dummy to Watson when Watson had come off the bench, and I think that that was quite telling in that the Scot the Scottish defence was wary of Watson, whereas they're certainly not wary of Farrell cutting apart. I don't think they were too worried about Marchant by that stage, and I think having a player of that quality just just put a little bit of doubt in their minds. And I think. The whole bat line just needs looking at again. I think, I think Watson should come in on the wing, and then, as we say, the centres have to change. If if they played, Smith... go on, Ben, keep going. Uh, Watson's uh, not in the top ten wingers in England. It's ridiculous. That, that that's just not true. You just you, you see it as soon as he gets the ball, the the, the game seems to speed up. Um. It's just that he's injured a lot. It's the only reason that he's he's not in the team. He's 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 a he's a completely proven international player. We shouldn't have bothered with this podcast. We should have just dug out this podcast from week one of the Six Nations last year and played that because we're doing exactly the same thing. Which shows because we've got exactly the same problems. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, but we're still <laughs> picking the same fucking players. That's my entire point. But we're not picking them. Oh, good enough. Pick different ones. But but what if the different ones aren't any better? At least you'll know they're no better. We already know these cunts aren't any good. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I can I talk about the back row a bit? And in particular, Don Bram. 
Ben, are you, fact, can sorry, I just before talk, you go, I, before sorry, you no, go, Ben, ben let Ben finish. Well, all I was yeah, all yeah, I was going to say ben was point. I wouldn't. I, I would quite like to see Smith, Lawrence, and Slade. Oh, hallelujah! We'd we'd all love to see that. Yeah, we would, I think I think we would all literally be filling our pants if that happened. So, so the, I think. I mean, I'd happily watch Farrell to Alagi and Lawrence as well, but. Yeah, either I'd way, you've got a Farrell and Tuilagi get on a bus and never be seen again. <laughs> I think Ollie Lawrence needs to come in. I think with Henry Slade, similarly, you you could argue Elliot Daly, um, maybe not at twelve, but I think you could argue that that having someone who can play ball in that in that midfield is essential. But Farrell is a ten playing twelve, as opposed to someone like. Slade, who is a act an actual centre that's yeah. got all round skill, and you know Henry Slade has got a lot of England caps, and it, in for quite a long time has maybe flattered to deceive a little mm-hmm. bit with with his performances. So so maybe his time has run out, but the the type of player that he is would perfectly complement. And did he not play outside of Smith once when Farrell was injured? Wasn't there a, a match, and I can't remember who it was against, and it was Smith, Slade, and Tuolangi, maybe? Did they yes, did they start was. against South Africa before Tuolangi got injured? He did his hamstring. Yeah, wasn't it Australia, like, I think. One of it, and they and they looked like electric for the first 15, 20 minutes, and it all looked quite cohesive, and then Tuolangi did a hamstring. I think well, that was the game. But I think I just think like like what you're saying, Ben, is having having a ball player that isn't a ten playing twelve. Uh, yeah, I don't want to um, keep Phil too long, but I think... Keep it as long as you want. <laughs> I think the um, I think the actual style of play they were playing that, that Doug described when they were sort of, or maybe it was Phil, where they were throwing it out the back to Smith, I think that was definitely a hangover from Eddie Jones. And it might have been the fact that they didn't have that playmaker outside that they were trying to replicate. Not that it worked, but I can kind of see a little bit of logic but, to but that. It was, yes, yeah. um, and and I guess this moves on to Phil's point about the back row. But like England always have, once they've got a bit of momentum behind them and got recycling the ball quickly, and if Van Portfleet and even worse Youngs didn't stand and look at it for a few seconds before they picked it up, then they started to look good again. Um, so, you know, again, the, the key has always been speed of, speed of ball. Yeah. What what I will just say, the, the argument that the balls behind centres and runners to Smith are all well and good when the defence thinks that one of those centres or one of those players is going to get the ball. The, po- the it problem works England... if you've already broken the well, defense. Yeah, if the well, defense it, is broken, it's ideal. It, it, but they aren't because exactly. they've got no one because yeah. they haven't straightened it up to start it... off with. So you just look at the way Scotland played, right? Two a plot two at twelve. He had a very good game. He didn't make many meters personally on his own, but he made meters and he did the job he was there to do, which was occasionally crush it up hard through the yeah. middle. Keep them, honest, if, keep them um, honest, keep them honest, keep them honest. And then where did all their tries come from? Bang. Like wide. Wide. They made the I break. Think... So the one for white, so they had um 
Oh God! The first try they went they went off the top of the line out, didn't they? Yeah. They broke through the defence, which someone someone sold themselves. Yeah, and they got through. They went bang, kicked through. Hugh Jones scored the second try, kicked tennis. It was Farrell had spent his the last five minutes just chasing his ass, just trying to tackle Finn Russell, and um, he got to him. We turned it over, kicked it back to Van der Merwe, who just who just ran through everyone. Um, we'll come on to the, to Don Brunt's piece in that in a minute. Um, the next try, just when we 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 clawed our way back at half time, we'd just taken the lead. We then scored the try to go. Was it 20, 21, 12 or whatever it was? But that was the point where we should have we should have pulled away there. That that yeah. was, but that, what that was a winning to, try. So but... straight away from yeah. that restart, Don Brunt dropped the restart. Yep. gave them a scrum. They had a couple of phases. They went across the pitch twice, across the pitch, back across because they were forever stretching it because they had a straight running threat. England had narrow defence. Ben White, uh, Curry misses a tackle. Ben White scores. Right. Similarly, the um, the final Van der Merwe try was um, following a kick. Young's kick too long. Caught somebody caught the ball. I think it might have been Russell. It might have been um, Kinghorn who came on for Hog. He caught the ball on his twenty-two line. He then went through a couple of pairs of hands. They were at the halfway line before anybody had even laid a glove on them. Mm. Right. They then went back across the pitch. They were given a, a penalty advantage in the midfield, which we all went, "Oh shit!" Penalty advantage. They, they could probably kick that if they wanted to anyway. That would have put them in the lead. They went straight across the pitch to um, Stain. And because they were worried about the, the threat, the defence was narrow. Stain went right around the outside, broke the gain line by about 30 metres, got tackled, recycled all the way over the other side of the pitch. Van der Moe scored. Now, again, the defence for Van der Moe's that try, Smith and Farrell between them conspired to make it as easy as humanly possible. I mean, what when you've got someone running down the touchline, what what is the thing you learn, especially as a fullback, Ben? What what is the thing you learn the most when you're growing up? You touchline's know, you, defender. You, the touchline's your defender. So how they let him step back inside there, I'll never know. And you can people can go, oh, Van der Merwe was class. Van der Merwe was this. England made Van der Merwe look like fucking the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> they made him look like that. Right? He wasn't that good. Right, he he finished them well, fair play. But England have to be responsible for allowing him to score those two tries. That's a fact. But my my overarching point of that is Scotland stretched the pitch. They made that Twickenham pitch as big as humanly possible by having honest runners through the middle in the back line. Can I? Sorry, um, it, does that kind of work into what we were saying? Um, was it yesterday or this morning? I saw someone online say that a lot of the England players, players you wouldn't expect, were, were quite obviously blowing in the last 10 minutes. Um, and obviously Scotland, I don't know if Scotland forced that by going wide or if they recognised it and then started going wide. But, you know, it almost sort of came to me that maybe because the Premiership is so stop-start, that the, the England players aren't used to that because you've got actually all three of the Six Nations games had a lot more or felt like they had a lot more in-play time than the average premiership game. 
Um, you know, all, all three of them were, were quite watchable games. Um, so I wonder if that is just a little thing that we need to watch out for, because when was the last time England won a game when they've been behind with, with a few minutes to go? Well, it's, it's, the, it's been a long time and no, we haven't been behind with thing, that yeah. <laughs> a lot. The only, the only time we've ramped up was New Zealand in the autumn, wasn't mm-hmm. it? When we were behind yeah. for that, like, that mental last, last 10 minutes. Um, but it's, it's a fair, it's a very fair point. There did seem to be a lot of ball in playtime. Um, Phil, you wanted to talk about the back row and around the back row, more specifically, Alex Dombrandt. Yeah, so I, I suppose the the obvious thing was was his absolutely shocking um, effort at tackling Van der Merwe for the try, which was just for for an international number eight was disgraceful. But just coming back to your point, Russ, about um, keeping players honest, I was just listening to you saying, "Oh, you you run hard, you keep them honest, you ship them wide." I mean. I'm I'm trying to teach the under tens that at the moment. It's been the the base tenet of every rugby coach for the last forty years is you tie people in, you earn opportunities to go wide, then you go wide in the wing and score your tries. I can't understand why we as four blokes who've played a bit of rugby and watched a bit of rugby uh, are having to bring this up like it's something revolutionary. This it it's really not difficult. It's really basic concept hubris, Phil. But, it's hubris yeah um but yeah Don Brand. so shocking a, a attempt at tackle to, to me he reminds me of the the guy who comes along every other saturday plays for the seconds looks like an absolute world beater you finally convince him to come up, up and play first team rugby and he just looks lost um he is an excellent premiership player uh in the Premiership, he carries strong. He runs. At, he he makes decent yards, lots of carries. Okay, he does the um, the the showreel kind of stuff. Uh, obviously, has a really good relationship with Marcus Smith, which I think happened a couple of times in the game. But what he does generally when he's playing for Quinns is he's running at spaces, um, and so off the back of like little moves off the back of a line out running at spaces between 9-10 channel or off off 10 running at 10-12 channel, running at spaces, um, using a bit of a burst of speed, getting through those spaces and then doing the, the fancy one-hand stuff. The reality is in international rugby, you don't get those spaces because you're not playing against 15 premiership players. You're playing against two or three premiership players from each club who happen to be the best two or three from each club or one or two or however many. Um, and I just don't see his game being what what an international team need at number eight. We talk about yards yards after contact, and he's not particularly good at that. And that's the one thing that Billy was fantastic about, is he takes ball into contact, makes yards, suck in two or three players, and that creates the space elsewhere. And I just don't think Don Brandt does that. The person that did that on Saturday, and the person that's done that every game I've seen him play for the last two or three years, barring one or two poor ones in there somewhere, is Ludlam. Ludlam carries hard in contact, carries past contact, keeps going in the back row. I mean, Genge does it a lot as well. To me, I think the back row looks much better if it's um, Curry Willis Ludlam than if it's Curry Ludlam Dombran. I think oh, it... Sorry, go on, Phil. Yeah, no, no. I was, I was just going to wrap it up and then um, pass to Doug's view on that uh, so I think it's a bit of a sort of an existential problem really because 
the only way you get picked for international rugby is by standing out at club rugby. And Marcus, um, Marcus Smith and Alex Donbrandt have stood out at club rugby level, right? So they obviously get their recognition. The issue comes when you start bringing players into a system that isn't designed for them. And it's a coach. Like, so <clears throat> you have a coaching problem. Is a coach picking a player because they're they're very, very good? Or is he picking a player because they fit his system? And I think in both Dombrandt and Smith's case, he's got players there that just don't fit the way they want the international rugby is played. I don't think it's that they're not good enough to play international rugby. The problem with the England game plan is that we hack the lever off the ball for 60 minutes and then wonder why our, pe- our players are blowing out their ass when we ask them to do actually something something that they're they're supposed they're known to do. Now, that tackle on Van der Merwe was poor, but don't level the whole blame for that try on, on Alex Dombrandt. There oh, were six other that missed him before he got to that point. I, I, I wasn't coming I in at a bad angle. And the only it's thing Dombrandt could have done, because if he'd have gone low, he'd have slid over anyway. He had to go high because he had to roll him in the tackle. And Van der Merwe's as big and as strong as Alex Dombrandt. So that's not a Dombrandt thing for me. I don't. I just. I don't lay, level any blame at him. He was the. He was the last line of defence. He was there when the fullback wasn't because they'd all been sat on their asses. I think the yeah. problem we've got is there are too many players being forced into this side, playing a game plan that doesn't suit them. Playing, I think, a lot of the more established players, and I level this at Farrell, I level this at some of the forwards like Genge and Sinclair. I level it. Um, to a lesser extent, um, some of the other backs, but I think there's a bit of a, I don't think there's a, a sort of cohesive team there. I think there's a lot of, a lot of lads playing for themselves personally. England haven't been a cohesive team for quite some years. time, quite some time. I can't remember the last time England were a, were a proper cohesive team, and then it you doesn't got, look like they it doesn't it certainly doesn't look like they enjoy their rugby. No, no, and then so then you've made a very valid point there, Doug, around coaching and styles. You know, regardless of media pressure, regardless of you know the exciting rugby Smith can play and all of the stuff that he can offer, and if 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 Steve Borthwick and his mantra to wants to play the way that Leicester won the the title, which was Big forwards, lots of kicking, box kicking, almost back to the the old Saracens way of strangle the opposition, pin them back, and then make them make mistakes. Then there's no, absolutely no point in picking Marcus Smith. Then then you may as well just just pick Farrell because his tactical kicking and is 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 right up there. Coming, so, coming back, we said it. We said it all along, didn't we? With Jones, the way Jones wants to play, why is he not picking Wigglesworth? So he's the perfect scrum up for that system. Ben Ben Spencer, um, yeah, but it then turns but into coming, like but a coming back to thing, but coming back to coming back to Ben's point though. If if that's what you want to do is to strangle the life out of it, those players need to be a damn sight fitter to to do that for eighty minutes in a rugby match. They yeah. they shouldn't because the whole the whole Saracens Wolfpack approach is based on hunting the opposition down as a group, and they they're not doing that. I don't. I just don't think it. Like, at that level, I don't. How do you? How do you get 
international rugby players fitter. I don't I don't think it's a thing. Like it's not like it's not like Harlequins play a low tempo easy game, is it? No. Um, but, but as per but how many, point, Premiership rugby is, and it's an, appears to be very, very it's an easy, start. It's an easy yeah. accusation to make to make at someone. Like if you were to look at if you were to look so, at Josh McCallie after thirty minutes, he looks fucked. No, but so, really, it's not so, so much that they're unfit. Um, it's just that it's a different. It's a different type of. Fitness, are we, are we claiming what 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 evidence have you got to suggest that Alex Donbrandt's not fit? And no, that wasn't an Alex Donbrandt comment. That was that was a comment about how the fact that. We do not seem to build energy levels towards the end. We seem to flag towards it, and we don't have that that kind of extra extra level. That uh, the opposition always seem to have more energy towards the end of the game than we do as a as a team. And I think it's probably a systemic thing around around how the Premiership's played. It is more stop start than the other leagues. So so that it's, it's a different level of fitness. It's more a it's more of a. Um, endurance than a cardiovascular fitness and i think i think there is a point there uh, the, maybe i should have phrased it differently maybe it, it isn't if we want to play that game style the players need to be fitter maybe it's that game style doesn't suit people who come out of the premiership in international rugby the, the other thing with the saracen style of play is that they they beat you up when you when they had the ball as well there was always carriers coming and like and I don't think at the moment England have got enough of those. No. Um, well, let's, look, look, I don't think you can, um, you know, when Saracens were doing that, they were doing it with Billy, a prime Billy V, Will Skelton, Mara Otoje. Um, and they're, they're not necessarily doing that anymore. They're doing it with Andrew Kitchener because they have to play by the same rules as everyone else. But um, <laughs> I, we, we, but the, England the, fact, don't. the fact remains that, yeah, but we don't. <laughs> Because we don't have those players available, so there has to be an element of cut your cloth accordingly. We have to, if the players we have, and when English clubs look the best, is when they're playing like a Harlequins or like a. We have got, we've spent thirty years as a nation with academies breeding skills and and skills and offloads and running and do all this and then we get to international level and we say right lads fuck all that we're going to belt the shit out of the ball for 80 minutes you're going to chase it and eventually they'll get knackered we don't actually utilize any of the skills that all these players have spent their entire careers learning it seems mad to me that we've got we could probably put i'm not joking like 30 legitimate players in our backs that are skillful as fuck that probably would have been like all blacks back in the day you know what i mean because they're that skillful and we, we we don't we don't get the ball past twelve. We just twat the shit out of it and hope that we get a couple of penalties and push over a try at a line out. Can we not put Harlequins on some sort of pedestal as playing this fantastic high scoring attacking rugby? They're the fifth highest scoring team in the. I'm not. I'm not just Premier saying Harlequins. I'm looking at Saints. No. Sale play good rugby out of the backs. Yeah. So um, that and that was and that was only more really Leicester that boot the shit out of it and Saracens. And Saracens are the top scoring team in the Premiership by over yeah, fifty but, points. Yeah, because, it works. Yeah, well, so does the other way. It's just we don't have the players to do that. When are we going to yeah. realise that we don't have the same size of players as South Africa or Australia or New Zealand? We just don't have the players to be able to beat other, or even Ireland. We don't have the players to beat teams up. We've got to accept it. And I think. 
only, I think only South Africa really do have the players to beat other teams up consistently, regularly. And we and need they keep to win in World Cups. Yeah, and we're, but we're not going to be able to do that. You're right. We need to play a different game plan, and that all of that just comes back to the fact that having Farrell and Smith playing together doesn't work. We we need to do something different. I think um, to to put a positive spin on it, I thought Ludlam played really well. Russ Russ said it, or Phil said it as well. Um, and I think personally, although Curry had his moments, I, I, I think Earl should be starting because Earl's one of the form players in the Premiership. And I think the state of what we've got at the moment, I think you you probably give Don Brandt the rest of the tournament and just see if he can. Who's the better option? Than Don Brandt, really, though. Well, Willis. Willis. Well, the, the well, Willis. The, yeah, yeah. I'll, it, I'll go with you there. Is, is eight not now a holding pattern until Mercer becomes available? I, Potentially. I, I said Potentially. that you, well, we had this discussion on Saturday, Ben, and I couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. The more I've, you more you see of, of Zach Mercer, and I think he'll, he'll tear up trees in the Premiership next season. What's Zach Mercer good at, though? This is my point. What's Zach Mercer good at? He's ball carrier now. Run straight, hard, and offload. All, yeah. all the things that they're not asked to do. So my, yeah. my point is that he'll get into the England side and he won't be able to play the way he plays. The, the thing with Mercer, though, is he's got very quick feet. So he's not he's going to make more ground than in the close. we've seen Don Brandt do. In the He's not going to make it quite in the same way that Budipola yeah. does. But, you know, you quite often would see him, even when he was like a beanpole at Bath, just just make two extra yards when he had no right to. Driving is the drive of the legs, isn't it? Uh, yeah. no, that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point. But uh, so so for, okay, I take back my back row and I change it to um, Earl Ludlam Willis. That I, I'm like, more than happy with that back row. I think mm-hmm. Ben. I think Ben Earl has to play. I think he and and with that flexibility and I don't think you need. In the Six Nations, I don't think you you need necessarily to have those those big monster four in inverted commas forwards. Like you'd have to match South Africa for physicality in a scrum, right? Whereas I think for the Six Nations, you need players like Ben Earl, who is a strong ball carrier, but also gets in and around and over the ball. I don't see Don Brandt do that anywhere near enough. Um, one of... Eddie Jones's big criticisms of Sam Simmons was that he plays he played too much out in the backs and scored too much. You know, all, all he scored all these tries, but they're out in the backs. Well, Alex Dombrand, if you watch Alex Dombrand, the big sort of highlight reel carries he makes are all runs that should really come from your twelve out of the twelve channel, and he always arrives on time at pace, which is great. Don't get me wrong; I'm not faulting him for it, but. You know, I want your eight. I want your eight to also be making the hard yards well, in contact. They, they tried him like, a couple of times with an inside ball, didn't they? Running yeah, off, and he just um, off his off um, Smith's shoulder. But because Farrell was no real threat on a straight run, yeah, they just knew he was the, coming. The defense was waiting for him. They just knew. Um, yeah, exactly. It's 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 madness. It, so, it, it's not it's not hard to work out the issue. I mean, I, I think we're all sort of. Um, sort of uh, dropping the lead really as well that we played six front rowers and they were all shit yeah 
I mean, go no. So I'll, I'll I'll take that back. I don't think Genge was shit. I think Genge Genge yeah, is, Genge is played great, well. and I think he, you know, he always one thing about Genge, you know, yes, sometimes he struggles in the scrum, which is probably his primary job, but he he offers more than most in regards to go forward carries. Okay, yeah. Okay, shit, shit's a a big word. We. You can, you can use it for the rest I, of them. I have, a, I have a different view from you. You guys are watching it on telly with all the replays and all the commentators. I, I kind of tune the commentary out apart from names. Um, it felt to me like uh, our scrum got beat up a little bit. Would that be right? I think it was fairly fairly even. I think it was fairly even. You see, it seemed like it, it wasn't second half. Second half, we felt like Nell had the uh, edge over. I think it's um, easy to support. It's bench. easy to create a narrative, Nelly. especially you know, give away a couple of penalties. A referee is on your case straight away, and it's it's very very hard. Like he gave he gave one for Genge taking it to ground straight away. And once once you do that once, the referee seems to have it in his head. And, and yeah. if you're the first person to do that, you're fucked. Yeah. Because I'm not you, sure what Dan Cole brought to the party, apart from abs- Absolutely nothing on Saturday, as far as oh. I'm concerned. But again, where, uh, where, we did we, we did we did get a penalty and go forwards of, on we, his side, the first scrum that he played, but that's all he did. We at the moment, as far as I can see, and I don't know too But he's thirty nine, isn't he? We, we 35, isn't he? But we lack any yeah. real viable... There is no alternative. That's the problem. There is no alternative. That, Bevan that's Rod, a massive maybe. problem for the English. Huge. English. How can we not turn out yeah. a couple of props? How well, can we not do that? It's huge. And it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. Why is that? Is it because we're, we're just... Our first, rather than developing props, we're just like, just get, just get old Schumann in or, you know... And the bull crap. I, I mean, know. I mean, it might be what you were saying earlier about developing all these offloading players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, it does that's why we struggle the, to find a twelve as well. It does well, seem well, a, lot, a lot of the time, like the the sort of under twenties props that have come through over the last sort of ten years have all been that sort of you know, more athletic, style. sort of yeah. short, shorter, kind of quick guys. You know why? It's well, because it costs, se- it costs 70 rand. It costs 70 rand to bring a fucking lump of horse meat over who is strong, stronger than the tractor he pulls along. That's <laughs> what. I was going to say, we need to find some farmers them, It costs them 17 pounds a month. It's like sponsoring <laughs> an African <laughs> child. <laughs> When's shickling English again? You too can sponsor a South African prop for just fourteen pounds a month. Oh no, you can't because they're all at sale. <laughs> yeah, when when is when is Schickling English again? Uh, Not soon enough because he was and then he wasn't. We got, we got, I mean, it would be it would be delicious if our starting props at the World Cup were Val Rapava Ruskin and Patrick Schickling. Well, yeah. so, so let's ask that question now. How cut? In amongst all of this, how is Rapava Ruskin still not getting a go? And we're and we're trotting back Villapola and Cole. And Bevan Rod keeps getting Bevan picked Rod. despite being being beaten by twelve year old children in the scrums. I don't know if how much of 
like the EPS squad because Vinopola's definitely in it, right? Yeah. Um, like you would guess that um, maybe Bevan Rod is too. I don't. I don't know. That um, whole that whole premise how, baffles. How me. many of those players? Well, you, you sort of tie in your hand hands behind your back, aren't you? Yeah. So like we've you sacked the manager. Sacked the manager, <laughs> and you're stuck with all these same yeah. cunts that he'd let him down. Yeah, I, I I definitely felt like at the end of that game, it was like, well, I'm not exactly sure what is meant to have changed here, but like we finished the game with <laughs> finished the game with Cole and Vunapola on the pitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, and and our best player for the last feels like a decade. I don't know how old is uh, Mario Toji. Twenty eight, I think. Something like that. Twenty eight, yeah. Uh, he's twenty eight. Is, is it? Has he lost the step? Has he? He seems to have lost an edge. Uh, he, I don't know definitely... if he's lost a bit of hunger or if he's. He, he just feels to uh, me like he's just. He doesn't have that edge. He doesn't feel like because because when he was fresh onto the scene, he was so much more physically imposing and and, and was just barnstorming around the pitch. And every breakdown he was there, it feels like he's never in a breakdown anymore. I can't remember the last time I saw him win a turnover. He he reminds me of David Beckham when all the uh, sponsorship contracts came in, and it was all about uh, all I need to do is one or one or two things a game that look good. And all of the other, all the work rates gone out. What's, what's the old boxing quote? It's hard to get up to train and knock people out when you're sleeping in silk sheets. Yeah. Something Probably like doesn't help that every idiot on Twitter has been saying he gives away too many penalties for the last five years either. Well, that may, that may be the case. But I'm, I'm not wrong, right? When was Can you remember the last time he, you not know, the last when time he used to do like Spider-Man arms over a ruck and go in and you just knew, right, that's a penalty. And, it's you know, he'd just get up. Yeah. It, it feels like it's been a long time since I've seen that kind of. He, he's just been he's just been sticking in seven out of tens. Yeah, he was. An, I felt he was. An, he was completely anonymous on Saturday. I, I barely noticed him. Yeah, well, Maro Toje is like, what the fuck? Like, and he should have. If it, but for I, I said when he won his first cap, he'll win fifty caps as England captain. It's never going to happen. He's never going to be England captain because Farrell's going to be there till he's forty-eight. Oh, but but he gives good speeches. We can't <laughs> drop him. It'll be it'll be um player coach when he's forty eight. Player coach. He already uh, is. He already yeah. is. Right. You know what worried? You know what worries me though. So let's let's look let's look forward forwards a little bit. So this weekend. Sorry, just on the on the prop thing. EPS props. You've got Dan Cole, Genge. Joe Hayes, Carl Sinclair, Mako, Will Stewart. That's it. Those are the EPS props. Dan Cole hasn't played international rugby for 18 months, has he? No, but he's still, he's still in the EPS. Just added him in, I suppose, because to get him in this squad. Oh, I mean, none, none of them and, fill but, but you Will, with a huge amount of confidence. Uh, I, I don't think Will Stewart's dreadful, but he's out for forever. Yeah. He's lucky, and, so. and then hookers, hookers. You got Walker, Singleton, and George. He's like just um, uninspiring, and yeah, Karen yeah. Dickey's broken. But if you if you haven't got Karen Dickey or George, you're you're really struggling now. Dan, Danko was six foot three. Yeah, he was always tall. 
I mean, he has a suddenly grown. I've, I've realised what I just said then. Um, <laughs> okay, so let, let's let's move on a little bit. I <laughs> sorry, sorry, Russ. I've just googled Maro Otoje, and the first video that comes up is called Five Minutes of Maro Otoje Being a Shit House." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should watch it. Maybe we'll share it. Um, is I've got a slight worry after, I mean, I didn't watch any of um, Italy, France yesterday, but looking at the scoreline and obviously coming off the back of, of this defeat, we should, we should on paper comfortably beat Italy on Sunday at Twickenham. I always would have, you know, been of the opinion, yeah, Italy is the game. If you're going to try something out, if you're going to experiment, if you're going to, if you're going to do something a little bit different, you would do it, you know, especially if you were at home to Italy, you would you would sort of take that chance. I don't think England are in a position to take Italy that lightly this year. Um, and and could and could find themselves with egg on their face, come up as five on on Sunday evening. I I listened to the last twenty minutes of the France Italy game, and France very very nearly ended up with egg on their face. Um, I think this this Italy prospect is very different from what it was last year, or indeed probably any of the last twenty odd years. They're a proper unit now. They've got players. Yeah, and everything. Yeah, France went back. France did a, did a France, and and as soon as they didn't pull away and Italy showed some fight, France actually looked quite shaken for probably half an hour. Um, and Italy played some good rugby, and and they made they made ground almost every time they carried. The centres played well. Obviously, you you got the fullback who who scored a fantastic try. Um, and um, I think we've we've mentioned it. Is it Rutz Rutzer the the um, second row? Um, you know, he, he, he gets around the pitch as well nicely. Um, they've got a good back row and they, they were the better team for a good half an hour. And it, unfortunately, the, the, the opportunities they had to score at the end sort of all came down to, to the fly half and Alan missed a, Fairly tricky penalty. It was it was from distance, but that would have brought them to within three points. And then they had some very, very kickable penalties. Um, so they would have been two points behind. They had some very kickable penalties in the last five minutes. And they had one, perhaps on the halfway line, where if he kicked into the 22, they'd have a good chance of scoring. And he hardly made the 10-metre line. And then they had one about 10 metres out on 80 minutes and Alan went for the corner. And it, if you've ever seen me kick for the corner, it looked like one of mine. It went about 0.75 of a metre forward and all the way the rest of it into touch. And it, it just cost them. Um, so they, they even had chances to win. But having said that, they did what it... Those were sort of small errors that cost them a win, whereas last year they were they were making big errors that were just getting them beaten by half time, and they they did try that again, getting kicks charged down and, and silly little errors in their own half. So so you just got to take advantage of them. But I I think England could could come unstuck. They're they're going to have to, they they can't take them lightly, and and 
the fact it's at Twickenham probably makes it less likely that that Italy will carry it away. But you never know. Um, you know, France look good every now and again, um, but it was a bit of a bit of a nothing performance. Cool. Well, we'll have, yeah. to, we'll have to wait and see. And they've got France um, welcome Ireland this weekend, don't they? Um, I think it's in France. No, it's Something in Ireland. To check. It's in Ireland, is it? Right, there you go. Got that wrong. But Ireland are without... <laughs> um, um, out of 50-50, fucked it. <laughs> uh, but uh, Ireland without uh, Furlong... Uh, Keen Healy, is it? And Furlong? Gibson and Park's out. Gibson Park. Park and potentially um, Phil, who's undergoing HIA. He's in the uh, concussion protocol, isn't he, old Johnny? Ah, he'll be, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He knows how to answer the right if they haven't got Furlong, Gibson Park and Sexton, you know, they could quite likely get turned over. I mean, they started very well. Um did they did they just get the game won against Wales, Ben, on Saturday, and then take their foot off the gas, or did Wales come into it through their own volition? Well, Wales improved, but they almost had to. The, the first half was was men against boys, really. Um, the 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 Ireland team, when they were carrying, they did what England didn't do a lot of the time, which was always have support. They were almost sort of running in threes quite a lot of the time, um, and. They scored after two minutes, something like that. Um, and then uh, probably by 10 minutes, it was 14-0. And yeah, by half time it was completely out of sight. Um, Wales got a try, but, you know, it was never going to make a huge amount of difference. And really, second and half, half, seven half, all. Half that Welsh team would have been the same team as when Gatlin was last their coach. Yeah, absolutely. Including and, the rotting carcass of Alan Wynne Jones. Yeah, I mean, the 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 um, the centre that made his debut, he he showed a couple of flashes. Um, you get arrested for that, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> um, but the rest, you know, there wasn't a lot going on from the rest of them. Um, Ireland started to give away penalties in the second half, which probably meant that they didn't really fly away with the game. But you know. Yeah, it was it completely under control. Keenan was brilliant at fullback. Um, they've they've got a plan. They've got a back row that hammers away ball carrying, and they they do have any number of twelves that can keep keep the ball and run straight. It was McCloskey this this time, and and he was good. Um, and where Van der Fleer has come from in the last couple of years, he was always a good player. But Pretoria, I think. Well. He's no, he's he is Irish, isn't he? But um, yeah, him and Doris are, are really good players. Sweetman Doris, <laughs> you know, do they do they do they call just Doris on the thing? But on every bit of thing I see written down, he's Sweetman Doris. Ooh. Never noticed so that. Thing. I I take it back. He's Dutch, not South African heritage. Van der Fleer. Right. But, well, yeah, they were they were pretty impressive. Um, don't know. I don't know what France. If France have got any to come back, because on that evidence, then you you back Ireland. But 
without Furlong, maybe they get a bit attacked up front because Wales did get a little bit of change at the scrum at times. Um, but do you reckon? Do you reckon Sean Edwards doesn't get a response out of that France team? Well, he he was fuming at one stage. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could all see Doug's <laughs> Sean Edwards impression, um, it's uncanny. Just, just do one side. I mean that that is that is pretty much first choice front side that they played. Bench, yeah, uh, there's no bit, bit no no wokey was there. I mean, the last two games they've they've humped Wales and uh, taken France to the wire. So you know, Italy are good. That's yeah. the point. Yeah, Italy are good. England aren't. They might beat us. Yeah. I, uh, please, uh, for the, my own sanity, I hope they don't beat us. It'll be a long gold drive back on Sunday evening if Italy <laughs> beat England. <laughs> Can you imagine taking my, no. taking Samuel to his <laughs> first ever rugby match? R- Russ, the one, the one consolation is if you're driving, you can't be on Twitter because that will be a cesspit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it might be for the best if the, if that actually happens. So... Um, Doug Douglas, you're not working this weekend, do you not? Yeah, uh, Twickenham on Sunday. How do you know my schedule more than me? Well, I don't. <laughs> I just remember you saying that you weren't doing it next week. Oh, well, I've got the weekend you, off, actually. I tell you what is happening though: a fucking James Haskell DJ set at half time. Fucking uh, take some acid. Me. I mean, I don't. I don't mean like the gear. I mean, just what? take some. Yes, I know. I thought you meant like one of those um, capsules in your teeth, and if it gets too much for him, just bite down. <laughs> the cyanide capsule, <laughs> like they used to have, like they used the pilots used to have in the Second World War. Yeah. No, just just some battery acid. Just Russ in the corner. Foaming at the mouth it's with a funny. sign round his neck. If we're, if we're lo- was too much. If we're losing it, half- imagine losing it, half- being being down to Italy at half time, and they come over the, the public and public address system. Now, rugby fans, we've got over the on the decks James Haskell. Fucking kill me now. <laughs> I mean, you've just been subjected to forty minutes of watching England kick the ball. Backwards and forwards to Italy. Yeah. So right your there. eyes, so your eyes are bleeding. Yeah, your <laughs> you know, eyes are already bleeding. You, well, not only have you been asleep for thirty-five minutes, but your eyes are bleeding from the five minutes you've actually watched. You and know what? What have happened? Actually, but cunt face comes on, and you've got to listen to him <laughs> spinning plates, and then your ears are burning. I, I are bleeding. Guaranteed, guaranteed. Farrell's pick, Farrell's pick the set list. He's told him what yeah. songs he's allowed to play. Absolutely. And I can also guarantee you that he'll be wearing a T-shirt that's two sizes too small. <laughs> Come on, Jimbo. Let's get you to Matalan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. But, yes, yeah, so I've got that to look forward to. And I can't, yeah. even, I can't even get myself five points deep. Is it at half time? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this country... <laughs> What a right. great reaction. I, I want you to, well, I might have to do it myself. I might record this podcast and just isolate that Ben going, oh. <laughs> and then assign it to my ex-wife phoning me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this country. Oh. Right. <laughs> let's, um, let's do some any other business and uh, get out of here, shall we? Uh, Phil, you've not been here for a little while. 
Have you got any other non-rugby related business? Oh, I'm not sure I do. My life seems to have been like dominated by rugby for the last three months without actually giving me any enjoyment. So, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to going skiing in April. That's about as good as it gets. Humble brag. <laughs> ben, anything from you? I thought outside the box the other the other week and I went to see Plymouth Argyle at home park and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it 4-2 against Cheltenham flying high aren't they the pilgrims yeah could be, could be championship next well, season just lost to Sheffield Wednesday though didn't they I'm an expert now football expert first yeah. time in 40 years <laughs> but yeah like it's it. a really good day out sorry I recommend it excellent Douglas, anything from you? I'm so I've had a couple of incidents recently of uh, just sort of old, you know, crusty white dudes being dicks. Um, the latest of which I was out going out for lunch um, with the lens et. Sure. <laughs> and, um, we, can we workshop that? You know, my, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was trying to pull into a, a parking space, right? And um, well, I wasn't trying to pull into the parking. There's a car in front tried to pull pull into a parking space, but he'd fucked it. So he and so he'd left it too late to pull in. So by the time I'd realised he was pulling in, I had to. I was quite. Be- and then he wanted to reverse, but then there was cars behind me, so he couldn't reverse. So he waved his arms about, pulled up, and then pulled into the next one available. Now, the next one available had space for like four cars. And rather than going in and pulling up to the end of the four cars, he just pulled in and stopped, taking up probably two cars worth of spaces, maybe, you know. So anyway, I've I as I've pulled in, he's given he's given me some signs as I'm pulling into because I pulled into to to park as well. Were they, you know, waves, I, thumbs up? I was, yeah, I was encouraged because I, my back got up. I was encouraged to remain calm during this situation. <laughs> I gave my word that I'd remain calm. Now, I got out of the car and, and as we were walking down the road, um, I was telling myself, be calm, be calm, Dougie. And then I looked at the bloke and he looked at me and shook his head. And that was just a red rag. <laughs> Heard, uh, heard a James Haskell DJ set coming out of his stereo and just yeah, snapped. Yeah, he just, he looked down his nose at me and shook his head, and all semblance of reason left my body. <laughs> Every single last drip. Um, I won't I won't fill you in on the language, but please please do. I want I want blow my, I want to know exactly the exchange. I, I think. Uh, what are you shaking your head up, you jowly cunt? Came out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one, the one previous that was a pretty similar situation, but um, I, I said to him, "Problem with you, old cunts. You think you own the fucking world, don't you?" And he went, "We do own the world." I went, "Well, not for much longer, mate, because you'll be dead soon, like that." And uh. <laughs> <laughs> As I drove off, I wound down my window and said, "It's coming for you, you old man." 
like that. I felt much better. At which point um, he clutched his chest and fell to the floor. I hope he did. I, 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 there would not have been a modicum of remorse. I would have not only that. I'd have got out of the car and watched him choke out, <laughs> standing on his throat. Told you. I told you. It's what you get. This is what you get. Don't mess with Dougie Andrews. No, it, Russ. Come on, you know what the the shaky head. The shaky. Oh, you know, I know exactly. All been there, we? When when you're like, I'm gonna let it go, and then they do the shaky head, and you're yeah. like, right, that, that's you're having that's, it. That's enough. Um. On another note, um, I've forgotten what I was going to say. Oh, I saw Tim at uh, Tim from Egg Chasers last week at, okay. at Twitter, and we, yeah. we shared a beverage. It was very nice. Very nice. How is how is he? He had a good catch up. He's good. Yeah, he's he's good. Excellent. Um, mine is very is very quick. Um, obviously, you guys and. The people on Twitter will know that Ben and I have very much a um, love love uh, affair with The Apprentice. And, you know, as bad as it is, they still managed to find the biggest twats on the face of the earth to, to go into business with. And I just, I, I mean... Some of them, they must have some some great business ideas. I think the woman that won last year was dog pajamas or something, wasn't she? <laughs> and uh, but but this this series, I firmly believe they have outdone themselves with level of incompetency. I don't think there's ever been eighteen more incompetent people in one room at any one time. And that, that last episode was oh, so man. bad, like. Last year, there were some actually quite likable people in it. Not Whereas, one of them has got a redeeming feature. But this year, one of them. no, no, and 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 none of them are any good either. No, it's just, I mean, but it's I brilliant. This, it's brilliant think, to watch. Yeah, <laughs> but I think this is why me and other people stop watching these kinds of things. They start being about people who have genuine aspirations for business or whatever but all the reality tv programs once they get into their third or fourth series it just becomes about people wanting to push their own personality which effectively means they're cocks yeah but these people um, and the i have no time for that these people on the apprentice aren't even clever enough to push their own personality they haven't they don't even appear to have any kind of agenda the way the way that the apprentice is is kind of shot and filmed like they don't kind of get their the opportunity to do that they kind of they only get their their, you know, maybe thirty seconds of talking head bits, and then when they end up in the boardroom, they all just fucking shit their pants anyway. It's it's unbelievable, and, and don't get me started on fucking Love Island. I used to love Love Island, and yeah, that's now uh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, we'll just yeah. well, it used to be. <coughs> let's get twelve people in a villa or whatever, and we'll keep the same twelve people there for at least three or four weeks and see what happens. And then we'll create a bit of drama as people get to know each other. Sending in a, the winter one, this one, this winter one, sending in a fucking new person every 17 hours. It's got <laughs> fucking higher. It's got higher turnover than fucking. I had something lined up then. Completely went out England's front row. Yeah. No, that's just... the same. That's literally been the same for four, eight years. 
Yeah. No, I, I think with Love Island now, especially, it, it's become an, an exercise in damage limitation so that when you're finished in Love Island, you haven't done anything that might incriminate you later. Um, uh, it's, yeah, it's become a parody of itself. Yeah, and and the problem is, I, I don't know where they keep finding these people. Instagram? Like they, they must go through, you know that Play-Doh thing where you push it down and the hair comes out? Is that one of them for humans? <laughs> like 20-year-old humans? <laughs> yeah, I think they are. Go in and as you squeeze it down, the fake tits come out, the teeth are all white and, sh- and the same. It, it's funny, <laughs> isn't it? Because when we, were, when we were 20, obviously social media didn't exist. Um, you know, Doug, when you were 20, the internet didn't exist. But... <laughs> Right. Um, year older than you, and <laughs> ma- massively less fat, <laughs> proportionately less less fat. <laughs> um, but like, I don't remember like twenty old twenty year olds never looked when we were twenty. Didn't look like they look now. And if they did, you you were usually avoiding them. Going, what the fuck is that? Yeah, I don't get the dudes, man. Like. What's up with their teeth? <laughs> well, they won't be going. They won't be going to Turkey for a while. And and why do none of them have any muscles in their legs? Because <laughs> they can't see their legs in the mirror. They it's like their month-old doner kebabs. Their legs. <laughs> month-old doner kebabs. You no, know, when you go into a kebab house and the spit is like right down to the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last, the dregs. Yeah, kebab dregs. Sure that. They that they should be bigger, right? <laughs> because the top bit that looks all right, but the bottom bit I don't get. I don't get it. They're like they're like the craft uh, tree cheese triangle. Yeah, or a, yeah. Hum- or, a, or, or a human coat hanger, <laughs> an upside down coat hanger. <laughs> yeah, just I'm just gonna do beach weights, buys and tries, bit of chest. Yeah, where we go. <laughs> Beach weights. I bet there's enough blokes at Nuki Rugby Club who do the beach weights, isn't there? It might give oh, them enough yeah. a chance if there were. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this um, at a level. Bearing in mind, some people might listen who, who play at the club. One training session, pair, pair yourself up with somebody about the same size as you. Stick them on your shoulder and do ten squats, and three quarters of the squad couldn't do it couldn't squat their own body weight and i was like what what the fuck do you guys do when you go to the gym oh do arms and chest so do some fucking leg work <laughs> like i haven't i haven't been in the gym in five years and i can squat my own weight no problem at all it's a walk in the park i, like, I was the opposite because i because i was always self-conscious about going in with, with all the sort of um you know, the show weights guys that are doing their sort of bicep curls and all that. I just used to do legs. Yeah. I was like an inverse Love Island. I was great, are... from the, great from the waist down. Legs and backs all you need for <laughs> So a little bit further down, you were great. <laughs> Maybe not the waist. <laughs> great from the top of the thighs down. <laughs> yeah. Ankles for Love Island. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that was good fun. Um, Maybe we'll get back together next week after the, this round of, of Six Nations games. That's if I make it back um, from Twickenham on Sunday evening. Um, I, I can. What tier? What tier of the stand are you in? Oh, mate, I'm in fucking U, upper 
I'm in the upper I, of the upper. I, I worry that if England lose, Samuel might be thrown over the edge. Just <laughs> 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 ragdolled off the top tier. Wow. Just some, some ginger kid flying onto the pitch. Yeah, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. Anyway, it's been fun. We'll be back at some point very soon and uh, we'll speak to you all very soon. Go well. Sports Social Podcast Network.